I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Something we haven't talked about very much on this show is navigating life after sports. But for many athletes coming out of college, and especially for elite and professional athletes that have gone beyond college to continue their careers, figuring out what life looks like, who they are, and what they're capable of outside of sports is often an intimidating and overwhelming change. And when athletes suddenly find themselves without a coach, without teammates, without a support system, they feel unequipped to navigate the waves of emotion, stress, and struggle that come as they transition from being the very best at what they do to starting all over at the very beginning. Robin Eckersley is a life expansion coach using her skills and experience to support professional, elite, and collegiate women athletes as their competitive journeys come to an end. Robin says that there are too many stories of unsuccessful retirement experiences where athletes suffer immensely with mental, emotional, physical, and financial repercussions once they hang up their jersey. Robin's mission is to provide support, resources, and expert guidance to those athletes who are approaching that inevitable point in their career so that they can have a vision of the life that they truly desire, a plan, and a strategy on how to access that life, as well as healthy support systems established to maximize the athlete's chances of thriving after retirement. So buckle up as we dive into empowering athletes that are navigating career transitions so that they can have a successful and healthy life beyond sport. In this episode, you'll also hear us talking about the power of gratitude, taking a step back and seeing things from a new perspective. A quick and effective way to put this into practice in your own life is through guided journaling. And maybe you're like totally rolling your eyes at me right now thinking, Laura, I hate writing look, I get it. It can feel like a ton of work. That's why I designed the Confidence Journal to be super quick hits, but it's profoundly effective at shifting your thoughts and focus along with teaching you that every day is valuable, which can lead to loving and enjoying your sport so much more. You'll soon start to recognize both shortcomings and triumphs, what needs improvement, but also pride in what you've accomplished. The Confidence Journal will begin to show you the beauty of your own journey and just how tangible your goals really are. Go visit laurawilkinson.com journal to get your own autographed copy. That's laurawilkinson.com journal. All right, before we get started, make sure you smash that subscribe or follow button and give Pursuit of Gold a five-star review. Please share your favorite and impactful episodes with your friends. That helps us grow so that we can continue to improve and grow to that next level, bringing you more resources, tools, and inspiration. All right, I believe that there's gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. Robin Eckersley, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. I think this is going to be a super powerful episode for our listeners. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. I think we have a really rich discussion ahead of us. For sure. Well, in a nutshell, you are helping athletes transition right now from sport to life after sport. But how did that even start? Were you an athlete? Were you already connected to this community? Has this evolved over time? Take us through how you got to this place because it's a very unique place to be. It really is. And honestly, you know, when I was doing my due diligence and seeing, you know, is there a need in this particular community? And the answer is overwhelmingly, oh my gosh, yes, there is a huge need. I was 
I'm bringing to the table a lot of different things that's driving me. Like, first of all, I have been a lifelong athlete, my well, lifelong ever since <laughs> I could walk. Basically, I was either swimming, I was either playing volleyball, I was playing soccer, basketball, I was always physically active. I took volleyball very seriously in high school, played year round on the club team, started looking at getting recruited for colleges. At the time, and this was the late 90s, early 2000s, volleyball was not a sustainable career when I was there. And so my decision making around going to college was partly where's my position, which was a setter, where are their availabilities on the team, who is offering scholarships to help financially, but also what's going on with their academic programs. Because I want to play volleyball because I love the sport, but I'm not pursuing it as a career. And that was very much on purpose. Things are different now. There's a brand new professional volleyball league in the United States that's very, very new, which is super exciting. But it was always something where I felt like I had to trade off what I really loved to do and was really good at because I had to think about my future financially, essentially. So that was kind of a bummer. And to be kind of making those big concessions at like, 18 years old and you have your whole life ahead of you, it kind of puts a damper on how you, how you right. see the future. It's like, I'm already having to shrink and I'm not even 20 yet. Oh my God. Like, what do I have to look forward to in life? Like it wasn't that drastic, but I was like, it That's started a to have like, take. <laughs> I know it started to have like tinges of that because also what was happening at the same time, I was very, some people say it's because I'm a Pisces. So whatever your feelings are about astrology, but I'm very like big picture, very large perspective kind of person. And so I was like, what is this all for? A super existentialist. And I was like, you know, this paper that I'm stressing about or this presentation I'm stressing about. I was like that really emo existentialist, like 21 year old. <laughs> and I was thinking like, what is life about? And I had no answers. And so honestly, like my mental health did start to take a major toll. Junior year of high school, senior year of high school, it bled into college. And I was like floating from major to major. Fast forward, I ended up working as a project manager in the tech world, primarily in the government and military space, because I grew up in DC and the DC area, and pretty much everyone is either in military or government or the mm -hmm. nonprofit sector there. I did that for a while because I just had opportunity after opportunity just kind of falling into my lap. It was good work, it was decent money, but it was super unfulfilling. And so my now husband and I, we met at work. We moved to San Francisco because we were like, I think we're done with the DC area. I think we're done with this. So let's lifestyle. go as far away as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> his dream was to like, he went to San Francisco when he was a little kid. He's from England. And they did a family trip when he was like eight to San Francisco. He's like, I'm going to live here one day. Aww. And so he held on to that lifelong dream. And I was like, I just want to go to California. Like, that's my dream. But like anywhere in the state, because in my mind, it was all the same. Whereas it's definitely not all the same. <laughs> so I was thinking we were going basically to somewhere like San Diego and San Francisco is very much not like San Diego. Um, it is awesome in its own right, but it's definitely not like the surfing and like sunny skies type of life. 75 and sunny every day. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Why is it so windy and cold here? What's going on here? We got into the tech sector there. I was working with developer events and hosting these amazing events all around the world. It was a very flashy lifestyle, very exciting, but so draining, very exhausting. And I wasn't passionate about the products that we were selling. And like, it was a wonderful cause, but it wasn't my cause. Mm. 
And so I ended up being let go from that position. And that was totally unexpected. It blindsided me. And that's when you have one of those moments in life where it's like, I thought I was on this path and I could predict at least the next six months of my life. And then all of a sudden, I'm having a conversation with HR, a person who I've never even met before in this organization saying they're letting me go. I'm like, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I only have two weeks to figure out the next whole phase of my life. Mm-hmm. It's so jarring and it's so shocking. And for any athletes who have either not made the team or they've had, God forbid, a career ending injury or something like that, that shock factor of, I was not counting on this. Like, what the heck do I do next? We go into kind of reactive mode. So I started applying to the same kind of job, just at different organizations. And my husband was the one who was like, wait a minute, you hate this work. What are you doing? Like, why are you applying to do more of it? And I was like, well, my resume says this is the only thing I can do. Mm. And so I was going by like, well, now my work experience dictates the value I bring to any further opportunity. And he was like, why don't you just kind of take a breather? Let's take a second and like, think about what you really want to do. Because this was really like, you hated this work at the end of it. And you don't want to go into something that you're doing for just a paycheck anymore. And so at that point, I reflected on my life before I met him. I, like way too many other women in this world, have had a history of domestic violence. And there was something that happened after five years of that, where I had this kind of light bulb moment that no one's going to change my life unless I change it. Like nothing about this horrible routine of violence and abuse is going to shift unless I shift. That was the first domino to fall in a whole new trajectory for getting out of that situation and not getting back into a similar situation, which statistically is what usually happens. Right. And so because there was that fundamental pivot, I was like, if I could do something around that, I could bottle that up and share that with women across the world to help them change their life, whatever their situation is. That's a job I would stay passionate about forever. And so it was like that little kernel of realization and inspiration that led me to find coaching, that led me to start a business in 2016, that led me down the path of serving women who are looking for some kind of transition in their life, usually career. And then last year, because there's so much, there was so much like news around like Simone Biles taking a mental health break. There was news around like Serena Williams was retiring. All of these huge names were making some big career moves. I was like, who's helping them? Are they alone in making that decision? Is it mostly like a family discussion? Is it them and their coach? Like, how are they coming to that? And I started interviewing lots of athletes to say, when you retired or when you pivoted, what kind of resources did you use? How did you make that decision? And most people said either the decision was made for me and I was cut or I had an injury or I just kind of like asked my mom what she thought I should do or... I just kind of started applying for jobs and I thought I would just do what I did way back in college. And I didn't like it, but I didn't know what else to do. And so I was walking away with like, oh my God, nobody is helping them. And then I started getting a little bit more and there are resources out there, but there are far too few of them. It's really kind of a shocking thing when athletes are coming to the end of their career, they're coming into their final season. And it's kind of like, thank you for your service. Good luck out there. So hope hope everything goes great for you. And it's not usually like a heartless thing. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes it is kind of a heartless, like, yeah, 
the newbies, like the fresh young ones are here to take your place. They're faster, they're stronger, whatever. You just can't cut it anymore. But for most of them, there was a goodwill. Like, I don't know how to help you, but I wish you all the best. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, what I've been doing since 2016 can absolutely help these women. And also as someone who loves sports, I'm like, also, these are my people. So on a personal note, I get to hang out with the coolest people in the world. <laughs> well, I think it also gives you a better understanding of what they're feeling and going through and all that too, obviously, you yeah. know, more of a connection yeah. there. When you're talking about servicing these athletes, like, are you looking mainly at athletes leaving college or Olympics or is it a big variety of seasons and, and abilities or what kind of athletes are you targeting? Yeah. Most, I guess? Yeah. Well, currently it's mostly elite and professional level. Mm -hmm. The dream and the plan of the business is to serve the collegiate athletes also and have this program and this line of work available to everyone who's in the ACC, the NCAA, SEC, like all of the resources would be available to also the college conferences and to have folks who are on staff in the schools be certified in the different methodologies that I teach. But right now the focus is on elite post-college elite and professional level female athletes. When you decided to do this, I mean, were you just going from your own experience or did you go back and like get certified in all these different things and different ways to teach? Or what was your kind of, how did you start at that? Because like, again, it's yeah. this whole new thing where you're just like, what do I do? Or do I just start? Or do I go to school? Like, <laughs> how, did you, yeah. how did you make that decision? Yeah. Well, when I left tech, I was really caught up in this belief of, I don't have anything else to offer. I don't have a degree in counseling. I don't have a degree in therapy. Like, am I going to need to go back to school if I want to help these women in this way? My awareness of the potential answer to the question. So what you want to help these women, this thing around helping them see themselves as more than they've ever been able to see themselves thus far, that's a starting point. What does it look like in practice? Then my mind went to, okay, well, what do I already have a reference point here with? And that was therapists, counselors, even psychiatrists. And I was like, the job title is not fitting really what I want to do. And I had never heard of coaching outside of an athletic environment. And so at that point, I started asking questions and saying, you know, I'm kind of at this, I was receiving support. I was, well, seeking out support. So, you know, I'm kind of at this crossroads of like, professionally, I want to help these women do these things, da, da, da. And the wonderful thing of like, you take the first step and the next step appears mm. and you just take the first step and you're like, I don't know what is on the other side of this, but let me just ask this person. And I, it's so funny when I was living in Las Vegas at the time, I went to this spa to get a massage and they were like, oh, you have a two for one special today. You can get a massage and any one of our other services totally for free, which is so, so unusual. I was browsing their list of services and I was like, oh, I should probably get a facial. And then I saw a life coach. There never is a life coach in Attached a spa, to a spa. environment. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> like also, what is a life coach? Like at that time, I was super cynical. I was like, that doesn't even sound like a real job. Like that sounds like made up. Like, what is life coach? What does that even mean? And so I was like, well, it's free. Let me give it a shot. Let me see what this lady is all about. And so I had my wonderful massage. And then I sat down with this life coach who has an office in the spa, which is still, I've never seen something like that to this day. So I'm like, maybe the universe, like 
made it up and it never actually happened. And I like hallucinated all of this. <laughs> I did not, but it was uh, a really interesting conversation. I was like, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen in this conversation, but I'm going to be honest about where I'm at. I'm really going to be open to what she has to say. And I told her, I was like, I want to help these kind of people do these kinds of things. And I'm at this crossroads and I, I don't have training in this background. And then she was like, it kind of sounds like you want to do what I do. Like, it sounds like you want to be a coach and do coaching essentially. And I was like, what's coaching? Like, are we doing coaching now? Like, <laughs> is this coaching? <laughs> and she, she kind of laughed and she was like, just do some research. This might be a path that you could see yourself in. And so I did the research and my whole world opened up and I, like all the light bulbs came on and I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to do. The interesting thing about the industry of coaching, at least in the United States, is that it's actually not regulated. Mm-hmm. So anyone can set up shop and you probably already know this. You don't have to have a coaching certification to call yourself a coach. And for me, I was like, I don't know about that. I want to at least have some kind of foundation. I don't want to just sit there and like chat someone's ear off and be like, I think you should do this with your life. I sought out this old, like highly academic version of me. I sought out like, who are the top schools of coaching training organizations in the States? And so I found where I went to school, which is IPEC, the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. I signed up for their seven-month program. I got certified through them, and they are certified and accredited through the International Coaching Federation, which is the international governing board of the standards of coaching. And so that was the next kind of like step in the direction. And I said, okay, well, I know the core tenets of coaching. I know the basic methodologies, and I think I don't want to work for anyone else. I think I want to start my business. I also don't have an MBA. So I don't know what the heck I'm doing starting a business. This is back in 2016. But since then, it's basically been reaching out for support, a piece and a piece and a piece and looking for things, official things like certifications here and there when appropriate and trainings here and there. But mostly it's using the foundation of what I gained from IPEC and then adding on to here's what this community that I'm serving could really benefit from. So let me get good at this. Mm-hmm. And really building that over time. And so now the methods that I teach are of my own design, but they're the culmination of lots of things that I've kind of picked up along the way. No, that's awesome. I love that. And that's it's the good and bad about coaching, right? Like you said, it's not regulated. So you really have to know who you're talking to. Like, who is this yes. person? It's not some just whack job off the internet, you know what I mean? I know. To make sure <laughs> there's something to them or they have recommendations or, you know, yes. they've actually worked with real people that have had you know, yes. good experiences. Do your sure. diligence. Mm-hmm. For Do your sure. diligent background checks. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, so I would love to kind of pivot a little bit and talk specifically about some of the struggles that athletes go through that you're talking to. Yeah. So what are like these athletes that are retiring from their sport and getting ready to move on? What are some of the bigger struggles that you're seeing? Some of the biggest struggles are they can actually get very drastic very quickly after retirement from sport, from competitive sport. Some of the biggest struggles are a loss of a sense of purpose, Mm. which can lead to major situations like really bad depression, really struggling mentally. And that mental health is now a thing where they feel like they have no support. These folks are some of the best in the world at what they do. And that can feel very lonely sometimes. They can feel like they're the only one in the world going through this. Like they were at the top of their game and now they don't have that form of work anymore. And so everything else kind of pales in comparison. And so that sense of depression can be very pervasive 
And it bleeds into everything. It bleeds into your personal relationships, what you decide to go for for work, how you show up at work, et cetera. Health issues can be a big one in terms of you're used to eating and working out like you're training literally for the Olympics. And now when you don't have a major competition on the horizon, what does it look like to support your body physically and nutritionally? And a lot of miscalibrations happen there as well. And so the fitness aspect and the health aspect can get really out of whack there too. And then financially, a lot of these athletes, if they had the privilege of generating a good amount of income over the course of their career, a lot of them are without financial advising and the appropriate kind of financial counseling to help set them up for the long term. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these athletes, they go through that money very quickly. They're in that space of coupling health issues with depression issues, with financial crunches and feeling totally, totally stuck. So some of these challenges can get very serious very quickly. And for other folks, it can be a little bit more mild in terms of, well, I'm kind of bored at work now. I don't get that adrenaline high anymore. Or people just kind of, they don't get it when I talk about like what it was like to train or I miss my team, that sense of camaraderie. And the family that you, you know, it's like a family unit that you're with, that you train every day with, that you see in the gym, that you see at the pool. Those are the people we're used to being in our community. And now if they're not there anymore, that sense of isolation, we can really experience a sense of grief because all of these aspects of life, work, people, maybe the financial aspect, but it's not as much with women's sports, unfortunately, yet. The routine of our daily life, all of that is now gone. And so overall, it kind of culminates in this sense of grief Mm -hmm. where now we feel loss and we're trying to honor that, but we're also trying to make a living moving forward. So there could be just a whole combination of very uncomfortable things Mm -hmm. that these athletes can be experiencing after they retire. No, that was a really good summary. Um, I'm like, yep, check, check, check. I'm feeling all the, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that. You were hitting on grief too. And because I think grief is something that as athletes, we don't really recognize. Because like sometimes if you, if you don't make the team, even if you're still competing, like we don't stop to like grieve the loss of that dream or that thing yeah. we were wanting. And so we never, mm. we don't really move on well from it because we're still stuck in this like, I wanted that. I didn't get it. And we're not properly grieving. And so we we can move past it, right? You have to kind of heal from that. And so that I think that's really important after the retirement phase to grieve the career, even if it went great and you're moving on, it's still, it's now in the past and that's a hard separation. So to like give yourself that space to walk through some of those emotions and those stages of grief is like really important. It's really healthy to do that. And I think yeah. to, to have people to talk to, whether it's a coach or just somebody in your life, but like, hey, I'm probably going to walk through some things and it may may not be that bad. It may be real mild or it might be kind of deep. I don't know. But like yeah, I, I might handle sure. some emotions walking through like this transition. I think that's just mm. for athletes out there, like it is healthy to go through those emotional like ups and downs afterward. Like that's a healthy grief yeah. process. Totally. To not well, try actually, to like Laura, shove it in was... the corner. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you can just move thing, on. Like... Right. And it's for folks who are really caught up in the like, you have to have a goldfish memory in order to be competing at the highest level, right? Where it's like, you got to forget the L, forget the mess up and focus on now and focus on showing up now. If that training kicks in after you've moved away from competition, then yeah, that is shoving it in a corner, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it is yeah. like boxing it up and not dealing with it. So actually, Laura, I'm curious about you. Like, 
What did you experience if you're open to sharing? What did you do to manage that sense of grief that really worked for you? Oh, I think I've been on both sides of the thing because I've retired twice now. So I'm <laughs> kind of, right. you know, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of like the cockroach. I never quite am done. I'm always <laughs> coming back. You know, the first time I, I was burned out anyway. And so I was kind of like mm. ready to be done, but I wanted to move on and be a mom and that wasn't yeah. happening. And so I felt very stuck because I was ready in a place to be done with diving, to move on to the next stage, but that next stage wasn't happening. And so that was a yeah. real struggle. I felt very lost. And so I think until it came to the point where I did grieve that like, maybe I can't be a mom and maybe that's just my path and I need to not necessarily be okay with it, but like know that there is more out there, like that mm -hmm. I can I can still seek those things. Um, and I kind of had to grieve that like this may not be the path, even though it's what I want, it might not be a possibility in the way I see it, you yeah. know, or, or wanted to see it. And yeah. so I, I had to grieve in that way more than for my sport because it was like the next chapter wasn't coming, you know, it eventually yeah. did. I was very blessed to like, I have all kinds of kids running around <laughs> all over the place from, you know, birth and adoption, <laughs> which is awesome and crazy. But yeah. The second time around was just a totally different path because I had kids in tow. I had a host of injuries. We had COVID. Like nothing was as it was the first time of my career. Like there was no consistent yeah. training. There was no consistent access to facilities. I had zero support. Even though I was a three-time Olympian, I came back and I wasn't on a national team or anything. So I had no support. I actually started this podcast so that I could try to get answers to questions that I had from people who I didn't have access to, but they'll come on a podcast and answer questions. You know, that's how idea. I was I was getting scrappy. <laughs> I'm telling you, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Um, so good. So this time, you know, and and then trials didn't go great because I had no access to facilities and, yeah, you know, I have a yeah. plate in my neck and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. But but I was okay with being done at that point with diving, but I felt very lost because, well, now I put all the stuff aside. We were doing really hard things to try to keep it to where like one parent was home with the kids while I was training and it was a very hard season. And so now I'm just kind of being thrown back into being mom full time. And I felt very lost because I had for the past five years struggled to do this physical thing that I wanted to do again and it didn't go well. And so now, well, who, okay, I'm mom, but like, is there still something more or whatever? So I was just really lost. And I don't know that I did grieve well, you know what I mean? Because I didn't recognize mm -hmm. what was wrong, you know, and I didn't really feel like I had anybody to talk through that with. I think there are people I could have talked to, but you make yourself feel very isolated, right? Like I'm the only person in the world who must be feeling this way, but mm -hmm. I'm not the only athlete who's ever gone through these things. And so obviously mm -hmm. there are other people who I should have connected with. And I think having the podcast and being able to talk to some people really did help a little bit. And it eventually mm -hmm. gave way to, I need to support other athletes and coach other athletes through mm -hmm. different things. It opened up a whole new world. And now I feel super passionate about like you, like helping these athletes through things that yeah. I understand and I love. And I do feel that kind of same passion without having to fling my body off a three-story building every day. You know? <laughs> so my body thanks me for that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And it's interesting because like a lot of people have, um, you know, depending on their background, have a certain understanding of what grief means. A lot of times people think I'm grieving if there's been a death in the family or if I've lost someone, there's been some kind of like ending of life there when really grief can just be my, I grieve the routine I had training every day in the gym. I grieve, you know, the jokes that my team and I would be cracking as we're getting ready to get in the pool. Mm -hmm. And it's those micro moments can also be very powerful when it's just us kind of sitting 
and it's just nothing going on that when the thoughts get loud, it's those micro moments that can really pop up and really like hit you in the chest all of a sudden. It's like, yeah. oh God, I really gotta, I gotta sort through this. Like I gotta really take a look at how this might be showing up in other areas of my life. Because when things get quiet and there's nothing else taking my attention, if those are the thoughts popping up, they're there in the background all the time anyway. They just might not be as loud, but they are there. They're going to be taking a toll. I love that you're doing this with the podcast because it's so important to have athletes understand that one, this is totally normal mm-hmm. to be feeling these kinds of things. And two, that you are definitely not alone. Mm-hmm. And that three, there are other people who you can reach out to, to talk to through this. For sure. And we, just like you need a coach and teammates to support you in training, like you need that afterward, whether it's with a job or just in Mm -hmm. transition or life. I mean, it's, you need people around you. We're not created to be alone. Like we need community for sure. Now, athletes looking at retiring, like if they know it's coming up, because I'm wondering if there's a way to prepare for that transition, but there's a balance because as an athlete who wants to perform really well and they have this goal you can't always be focused on what's happening after that. Because if you have this plan B, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You're not going to be as focused or as intent on plan A here. So what's the balance and and how would you advise athletes like who know, like say after Olympic trials this year, whatever, I'm going to retire, but I don't mm-hmm. quite want to look there yet. But like, what are ways that they can prepare without distracting them from the task at hand? If that That's makes sense. Such a great question. <laughs> so a lot of times what I have found in, in this work and all the uh, and many, many interviews with, with other athletes and whatnot, is that whether you're looking at this question of what am I doing after I retire, whether you're looking at it on purpose or you're purposefully looking away at it and saying, I'm going to focus on you know the next competition, the next big thing that's on my professional horizon, and I'm going to go all in on it, it's going to be there in your mind anyway. Because the amount of athletes who I've spoken with who say, I haven't prioritized looking at it because I'm focused on training, like we're training for this and this and this, but actually, like, I'm really scared about it. Like, I am stressed about it. I'm anxious about it. I don't know what's next. And that sense of lack of clarity and lack of the next path forward, even if they have decided to not prioritize looking into that, it's present. You can't pretend that that's like, I'm just, oh, what? I'm retiring after this? Like I never gave that one thought because the brain is designed first for survival, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's going to say, where's the next level of uncertainty here? Because uncertainty equals threat for our survival systems, right? And uncertainty for the professional athlete could be, what am I doing after, you know, the Olympics are done? My next competition is done. The championships are done. And we might be forcing ourselves to not put it in the conscious mind, but the subconscious mind is absolutely like going wild over it. It's like, like, guys, we need to figure this out. I don't know what's going on. Why don't we talk about this? (laughs) But the, the high performer is like, no, we're not talking about this. We're focusing on, you know, working out today and going through the moves and da, da, da. And we're forcing ourselves to focus on the present, which is wonderful. But at the same time, we can't pretend that the subconscious brain isn't locking on to the uncertainty of like, what's next, what's next, what's next. So something that I personally would love more specific measurable data around is what level of performance is affected by that subconscious for athletes who do have a plan after and athletes who don't have a plan after and like the anxiety that comes with that versus the peace of mind and sense of, okay, this is next. And another thing is that 
a lot of athletes do refer to it as this is my plan B, like this is my backup plan, as if it's replacing this like right now, when really something that for anyone who's listening now, who's in the situation that you can start to think about is that it's not plan B. It's just the next thing that I'm working on. It's not to replace this like right here and now is like, I need a backup plan if this doesn't go well. Focus and like love where you're at now, lean into the chapter that you're in right now, the competition that you're training for right now and realize it's just the next step. It's not your fallback because I think that sense of like this future will supplant what I'm doing now naturally creates a conflict. I have to do this or I have to do this. I have to be all in on training or I have to be all in on focusing or like, you know, kind of half one foot in and one foot out on focusing on my next career move when really it's be all in now and recognize you get to make it up any way you want to the next, make it sequential instead of supplanted, if that makes sense. I like that a lot. It's always those little shifts on the way we look at things, right? That make all the difference. It's like, just looking through a different lens, a different perspective, seeing it from a different angle completely changes the way our brain reacts to it, right? And processes it. I think that's Mm -hmm. huge. Just that different verbiage. Like this is not my Mm -hmm. backup plan. This is not what's after. This is just the thing that I'm doing next after this event. That would have been helpful. Where were you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, think about it also. You know, you described like (laughs) diving is jumping off of a three-story building all the time. It's like, well, I don't know if that would be... (laughs) (laughs) that that would bring a lot of people to the sport, right? They'd be like, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. When it's like, oh, you know, I get to do all these incredible things with my body as I'm spinning through the air and land perfectly in the water. It's like, oh, I want to learn to do that. That's cool. It's the exact same sport. But the way that we think about it, the way that we talk about it will either bring the brain on board or the brain will say, (laughs) hell no, we're not. No, thank you. We're we're definitely not doing that. Right. Good point. And it's funny because when you talk to most like divers or even high divers, like everybody just loves the adrenaline, loves the flying through the air, that feeling. But when we talk about it, we talk about it in ways like it's a three-story or six-story building because our body hurts so bad after. Like that's where that part comes from. But yes, it is cool for all those listening. It's not just hurling yourself off a building. It's actually a really cool feeling. Just so you know, thank you, Robin, for the clarification. (laughs) Framing is everything. Framing is everything. everything. I love it. Well, okay. It's 2024. This is an Olympic year and it always feels like a really big year, an Olympic year for athletes to retire and move on. I mean, every year, you know, Mm -hmm. athletes are retiring from collegiate seasons or, you know, injuries or they're burned out, just ready to move on. But the Olympic Mm -hmm. year after Olympic trials or Olympic games, it just seems like a bigger retirement group in an Olympic quad. Mm -hmm. So with that, there's maybe more, even more roller coaster of emotions than a normal retiring after college or, you know, time to move on because you've either made this dream and your journey with this is over or you didn't make it and your journey is over. So there's a lot of bigger emotions. Like what would you suggest for athletes that are about to walk through that very emotional part of their retirement journey, Mm -hmm. you know, where where some have plans and some don't like, what are some maybe really important steps that they should all consider doing regardless afterward? Yeah, such a great question. The emotional roller coaster comes from the way that, you know, going back to framing, the way that we're thinking about it. If we're placing this as like, this is my do or die moment, or this is everything, like my whole life career, like hinges upon this moment, then it's intense pressure. Some people perform great under that level of pressure, but the come down afterwards, regardless of what your performance is, whether you had the best performance of your life or something, happens on the day of the sport and you just didn't see it coming. 
it's not about the performance. Something to remember is that how you're closing this chapter does not have to be about how you performed that day. This is about so much more than that because, and going back to all the athletes I was interviewing, some of the healthiest, smoothest transitions that were made were by the athletes who knew themselves as more than athletes. An athlete was only a part of their identity. It wasn't their whole identity. And so the more that you can start to recognize there's so much more to me than my performance at this Olympics or then my performance in yesterday's training. We need to recognize all the value that we have intrinsically as each individual human being on top of what you can do in your sport. So first of all, working on seeing yourself as more than what your athletic performance is can be remarkably powerful to set you up for a smoother transition. And also never, ever, ever underestimate the power of gratitude. When we can lean into the experience of the Olympics is going to come and the Olympics is going to go, we are all going to reach, I think they end um, mid-August in the closing ceremonies. Mid-August is going to come. So it's not about if, it's about when that happens, when that date comes, like at the, let's even move it to December at the end of the year. I'm closing out my year. Am I going to look back with sadness, resentment, with frustration, with disappointment? Or am I going to make an advanced decision to be grateful that I even made the team, got qualified, had this experience to work with these incredible people? If you go as an alternate or if you don't make the team, I had a hand in our collective success as a team. Deciding in advance to say, I'm going to be really proud of the work that I've put in can be remarkably empowering. And I'm going to be intentionally so grateful to have had an experience that like, I don't know what the percentage is, but like less than 0.5% of the entire population of the world ever gets to experience. Like I got to have that experience that in and of itself, regardless of your performance is incredible. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely incredible. And so those two things, like starting to see yourself as all of these other amazing attributes, in addition to what you bring as an athlete, and then deciding in advance, I'm going to be so grateful for this. I am so grateful for this. Can be, can settle the system and it can clear out some of the stress that comes in so that now you can have a clear head as you think about what's next. And then there are programs, you know, like the work that I do and the programs that I run that can catch you and say, I've got you. Let's walk you through a system. So you don't have to make all these big decisions by yourself. Mm -hmm. There's no way you have to feel alone through this if you don't want to. And so it's that space of like, okay, let me just relax into the moment instead of like white knuckling my way through this. Right. One of the best things I ran my first marathon in January. Woo. Congratulations. Thank you. It was part of the run Disney dopey challenge. And so it wasn't just a marathon. It was after three days of three other races, a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, and a full marathon, four consecutive days of racing at 5 a.m. in the morning. Like, it was all crazy. <laughs> and one of the most, what I never hit the wall. You know, the infamous wall that people hit between, I guess, miles 18 and 25, where all of a sudden the body is just like, no, what are we doing? This is, this is a mistake. And everything starts to shut down. I never hit it. and. 
it was because I was very intentional with mental preparation. Mm. Saying, I know that I have a tendency, especially in training, to go into the dark space, go into the hurt locker, essentially. And it's like, if I understand I have a propensity for that, I can plan for a different experience, not to resist that, but to expand a different experience. And so it was a lot of gratitude. It was for me, I love being playful. I love having fun. And so like cheering on other runners around me, like thanking the volunteers, being like overly thankful, like thanks for being here. And they're like, you need to calm down first of all. (laughs) But generating that sense of like, I'm just so freaking grateful to be here. I don't care what my time is. I just want to finish. I'm just happy to be here. A lot of times when we think of the event as this is my victory lap for all the work that I've been putting in over the years, over this year, over the months, over my career, then it's a very different relationship we have with the moment. Because you know, as anyone else does, like anything can happen on the day of sport, the day of competition that is not necessarily representative of all the training that you've had. Things can go sideways and out of your control. Oh, for sure. Oh, and I love the way you're talking about it because I I love that I'm hearing more from athletes that they know their identity is not in their the end of their performance, like whatever that looks like. Yeah. I think saying it and doing it are two very different things. And I think sure. people are starting to verbalize it, which is great, but I don't think we always recognize it or we recognize mm-hmm. it for a moment when we fall back into that trap because that's just, we're so yeah. wholly focused on things. And part of it, you know, I talk a lot about like separating goals from expectations. And I feel like you just kind of explained that with just different words. Like we can mm-hmm. have these goals for our outcome and this is what we are working to meet but our expectations can't lie on whether that goal's met or not because we yes. the expectations are heavy feelings based, right? Like, do we feel like we made it? Because you can hit all your goals and still be disappointed with how it felt or what how people reacted yeah. to it or you didn't get all the sponsorships you wanted. So like our expectations, yeah. like what you're saying, needs to be on how intentional we are in our training and that we did everything so that we can be proud on that day when we're trying to hit the goal, you know? So yes. I, I think it's just switching. Again, it's just those little mindset shifts, right? Looking at things from a little bit different perspective. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean like, oh, I'm happy no matter what happens. Like, no, if you like go out there and you perform bad, you're probably still going to be disappointed. And that's yeah, okay. Of course. But you'll mm-hmm. have put all the things in place so that not only are you going after this thing intentionally with a good head on your shoulders, but you're actually going to have more fulfillment and enjoyment in your sport in the process. Yeah. So that when you make that transition, you can look back with good memories and love it and not be like bitter and disappointed that I wasted my life doing this thing and, you know, yes. all those different range of emotions. So, I will love what you're saying is setting yourself up for this place of you will be grateful and have this amazing experience and you can still achieve that at the highest level knowing that your identity Mm -hmm. is not wrapped up in what the outcome is, but you can still have that big outcome goal. Like you can have all of that at the same time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's just to even like put it an even finer point on it is that we're not hinging our self-worth and our value on whatever happens in that microcosm of time. One of the exercises I do with my clients is to really harvest all of the wins. And so many of the wins that we have in our like repertoire are not the ones that have medals attached to them, are not the ones that have trophies attached to them or PRs or anything. Like They're the ones where it's like, I am really proud of how I walked through that disappointment. I'm really proud of how I was still able to hold my head high and congratulate my teammate from a genuine place of, I love that you performed this way. And I can still take care of myself as I'm disappointed in whatever I went through. Like, it's not about never feeling disappointed or never feeling angry. It's just about not letting that dictate your experience and control the narrative of how 
this final season of yours was for you. You have Mm -hmm. so much more control over that. And when we start to think about goals, I like to think of the outcomes of our, like the goals help point us in the right direction. The actual performance is the side effect. We're here in the moment we focus on controlling whatever you can control, enjoy it. Don't don't hinge your happiness on the performance, hinge your happiness on like, oh my God. So like in the grand scheme of things, it's freaking amazing that any one of us are walking on this planet at all, like at the same time together, doing like the things that we love and like, wow, we get to all compete with each other. Like, ah, that's so cool. That's so freaking cool. And also statistically mind blowing Mm -hmm. that any of us are just in this present moment doing this at the same time. And so to really take the perspective of like, this is truly, truly amazing. And you get to have a hand in that. Everything else is the icing on top and whatever performance you put in, it's just a side effect of all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. No, very well said. I love that. Well, we were on a call last night and something we were talking about like really hit home for me. And I just realized that I can be really insanely hard on myself. I mean, I've always known that. (laughs) But, you know, lately I've been criticizing myself as like a failure for every little thing that I'm trying Mm -hmm. to do, but don't execute perfectly. And, you know, I was hard on myself as an athlete, but I could kind of let go of things outside of the pool because that wasn't where my goals were. And that's not where my expectations and all those things were. But now that my life's changed and I have like different priorities and responsibilities, I struggle sometimes with not just what my priorities should be, but what my successes should look like. We were talking about that a lot last night. So can you walk us through some guidance on how to handle those tough transitions and how to redefine what we see as success? That was a juicy conversation last night in terms of (laughs) as an athlete, your measurements of success are largely dictated by things and people and governing bodies outside of yourself. You're given a standard and you're told to meet or beat it. And something that you've actually said on a previous call is that as as athletes, we're great at executing, not so great at the ones who are making the decisions. Like, just tell me what I need to do (laughs) and I will do it and I will smash it. But when it comes to that initial, like, but wait, what are we working to? Like, what are we supposed to do in the first place? What, tell me the goal, give me the target. When it's the piece of life that's beyond sport. We're the ones who set the targets and that can be really uncomfortable for a lot of folks, for a lot of high performance. And what happens, especially if you have a a relationship with yourself that's very set on very high bars all the time, we start to take that tendency and apply them to everything. Like the state of my house, like it's got to be the cleanest. It can't be kind of clean. It has to be the cleanest (laughs) or this like meal that I made. It has to be the best, like delicious and so nutritious and hitting all my macros. And it's like, what if if we just kind of reevaluate this or like the relationships with my kids, like we're using old tendencies and old patterns to apply the same methodology and expectations to these other areas in our life outside of sport It can be remarkably disappointing because that's not life. That's to achieve a certain accomplishment in a very specific athletic pursuit on a very specific day and time. For example, the going back to marathon running, there are certain courses around the world that are known as fast courses. And so you are given the best of the best in the world are given a certain expectation of hitting this time, but only at this time of year on this specific course, Mm. right? And that time is not appropriate for other courses or maybe even the same course, just in a different time of year. Like if you're running and it's like 85 degrees out and sunny and you're like getting sunburned over these 26.2 miles, 
it's going to be a very different experience than if you're running in London and it's like raining and it's like 40 degrees out. It won't be the same performance, even though it's the same distance. We have to have targets that are appropriate to whatever experience we're trying to cultivate in our life. If we just go like best, I just want to be the best and do the best. And it's got to be like, everything has to be high performance. And all of you other people in my life who are not these athletes, these like best of the best in the world, how do I, first of all, relate to you? Like what does connection on an interpersonal level look like? And how can we collectively have a really rich experience of life without it having to be just the highest metrics, you know, the pinnacle of excellence in all areas of our life? How can I be happy sitting on the couch watching a movie with my husband and kids knowing that there's like dirty laundry behind me and knowing that like, oh, I got to put dinner on. And it's like, I want to have the best of the best all the time but I don't know what that even looks like. So if I'm searching for like, I want the the highest like experience of life, but I don't even understand what that looks like in my personal life or next professional life. We're constantly feeling like we're missing the mark because we haven't even set the mark. This is where we can start to redefine the targets, having a conversation with what does a successful relationship look like? What would I love as a fulfilling, rewarding, loving marriage with my husband, for example? And we'll set that as the, for those of you listening, I'm doing air quotes, the target for what we're working toward as a couple, as a team in our marriage. What does it look like to have a really rich experience of work for you, Laura, in specific, in particular, you know, you're serving clients and you're running your own business as an entrepreneur that in and of itself has its own like menagerie of moving targets. You get to say, okay, here's the metric. Here are the metrics that I'm going to use to measure not worth, not value, not success, but service, mm-hmm. perhaps. The amount of dollars I've generated in my business, I'm going to have them in my mind. I'm going to, we're taking an active choice in our decision making. I'm choosing to have those dollars signify measurements of difference I'm making in my community. Mm-hmm. The number of clients I'm serving or the number of, I don't know, social media posts or advertisements I run or tools and resources that I share. This is me doing the reps. This is me putting in the work toward a worthwhile cause that means something to me. When you start to say, okay, what does it all mean to me? What is the most important thing in my life? What is a really rich, fulfilling experience? What would I love that to look and feel like for me? Then we start to basically define, in your case, like the boundaries of the pool. We start to define, are we jumping off of six stories today or three stories today? (laughs) Right. And so that we can start to set those targets ourselves from a place that feels good Mm -hmm. instead of from a place of like, well, that person's marriage looks incredible or like her business is just like popping off the charts. Like I need my target to look like those targets when really at the end of the day, this is your life. You get to set the targets however you want. And you get to define, here's how I want to feel in the pursuit of those targets. As I'm developing a deeper, richer, more loving marriage with my husband, I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. I want to feel encouraged on the way to that version of my relationship. As I serve, let's say my goal this year is to serve a thousand athletes. That's a big goal. (laughs) It's a big goal for one year. And so I not only have the metric, 
that I have decided that I just pulled that out of thin air. It felt really good to me. There's no real like rhyme or reason behind it. It just feels good. But then I'm also defining, here's what I want to feel in pursuit of that thousand. I want to feel encouraged. I want to feel playful. I want to like have the best time and meet the best people. And I want to feel like I'm making a difference in every single athlete's life who is one of those 1,000. It's really shifting how we think about what success looks like and basically learning how to be the person who sets the target in the first place instead of being the person who just goes for the, not just, (laughs) whose responsibility is to go for the target. You hit on that comparison part too, because both as athletes and retired athletes, we're always seeing, especially with social media, we're seeing what else is going on. But yeah, we have to remember that like, that's just such a snapshot. Like an athlete can post their best day or their best lift or their best dive or their best whatever. And it looks amazing, but that's like, that's one snippet of one workout of one day of one session. Yeah. Like, and we have no idea what else is going on or how they're actually going to perform, you know? And it's the mm-hmm. same thing in life. We see people, because nobody wants to post their crappy stuff. Nobody wants to post their kid crying because they didn't get Cheerios yeah. for breakfast or whatever, you know, like some <laughs> silly thing. You only want to post yeah. the beautiful shots of your kids doing something sweet, but like, that's not 24 seven. That's not all the time. Totally. Like I, we talked about cleaning the house. I clean the house and I turn around and it's messy because I have four children. So it doesn't matter how often <laughs> I clean it. It will be messy in like 30 seconds because we also school at home. So yes. it's crazy, mm-hmm. you know? So I like the really just kind of trying to find out what success is for you in this parameter, this dynamic right now, you know, and building mm-hmm. on that, but also finding yeah. the quality in it as well. Not just the yeah. performance aspect, but the enjoyment and the fulfillment in it as well. I like that. Yeah. And something that might be new to thinking about success is what if it's not an assessed situation? I mean, like the house is clean and therefore I succeeded, but what if it's more of success looks like being in flow of generally, we take care of the things that we have. That doesn't mean it's never messy. It means that the things that we own in this house, we treat them with respect and care. Because of course, like as four kids, like of course the house is gonna be like in transition all the time. And so- Nice way of putting it. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in a very similar house. So it's just like, like if you're always gonna be seeing yourself as a failure, if success looks like, a clean house every day. And that doesn't do anybody any good to think that way. So what if it's not about the clean house anyway, it's about how are we collectively cultivating and maintaining a safe and happy home together. And so cleaning is just part of the maintenance of the structure within which you live. And so it's not actually like the most important thing. The most important thing is that we as a family are cultivating a beautiful life together. Mm -hmm. And perhaps when it comes to the structure of the house, that looks like we take care of the place that we live in. So we're not destroying it. If something breaks, we fix it. Or we, you know, we are loving with the physical structures around us and of us, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's being very willing to be more fluid with what you define as like the target. Because a lot of times targets for athletes are a very fixed assessment of a specific thing. That's why I think I get caught up in the minutia and the little things because I I have a problem zooming back because it's such a bigger picture, like looking at the whole structure and the things inside of it instead of like, no, I can do, I can, again, I can execute this one thing. You know what I mean? Like that's my mind wants (laughs) to go there. So it's like, I'm learning how to kind of zoom back in all these different aspects. So I appreciate that. 
Are there any like any other things, any other advice you would have for us as athletes are coming into this quad, going into, mm-hmm. you know, big summertime, especially for the summer athletes before possible retirement? To really one, coming back to gratitude, first of all, the fact that you get to have the, for those of you who are going to the Olympics, first of all, congratulations, because that in and of itself is already a major, major accomplishment, no matter what happens when you actually get there. Like it is a major accomplishment that you're, you're heading there. Congratulations that if you have decided that this is your final season, congratulations for making that decision. A lot of people don't get to make that decision and it's kind of handed to them saying, this is your final, this is your final season and you didn't really have a say in it. So also like, that's what I mean about harvesting those little wins and those really like, huh, that's cool. Not everyone gets to experience it in this way. I'm so grateful that I do take it in, which sounds remarkably cliche, but really leaning into focusing on, wow, it's really incredible that like, this is my summer. And it doesn't, from a place of enjoying it for it being right here, not from a place of all the summers after this are going to be awful compared to this, right? It's all downhill from here. It can be a very common mentality of like, it doesn't get better than this. And I just better prepare myself to be disappointed for the rest of the ride from (laughs) from here on out. It's super common and you can obviously logic your way into that, but that's not going to do you any good. Get curious about this. Yes, get grateful about it, but also like, oh, I wonder what kind of people I'm going to meet. Like, I wonder what kind of what's going on with these other folks. Like, I, I want to learn like, oh, this person who I saw at this other competition at world championships, like, oh, I know that like their sister just had a baby. Like, let me ask about how their niece is doing. And it's now we're having more of like a, a holistic, comprehensive experience instead of I better like make this Olympics count because it's my last one. Mm-hmm. You're missing out on so many other amazing experiences, even in just the like, let me have a different kind of conversation with the other athletes who I'm going to be around. Mm, right? I like that. And so really leaning into focus and, and show up and be proud of what you get to bring into your sport and perform as you know how to perform. Go for it and do not miss out. You get to be among some of the most incredible people on this planet right now. I like to refer to them as basically like the superheroes and real life superheroes of society. So many people look up to these athletes and they're like, oh my God, like you're literally superhuman in my eyes. Like lean into the fact that you get to experience the Olympic village. You get to experience all these other cool people who are there, like lean into their life, get to know them as a human level on a human level. Like let's really suck the marrow out of this experience. And have a great time showing off what you can do. Your body can do incredible things. Let it do those incredible things and have a blast doing it. And this is something that you can decide is going to be your experience ahead of time. Like it's still winter right now. It's February as we're recording this. And as you go into the summer season, like you can already do that on purpose. A lot of people will say, well, my summer is going to be basically determined by my outcomes and my performances. No, your summer experience can be predetermined on February 20th, Mm because you decide this is the kind of experience I'm going to have. And of course, there's going to be performance outcomes, and I'm going to be friggin' grateful for every single one of them. Even if your season is ending in college next month, like you have time to redirect the way you're thinking, like there's still time to do that. I think that's whatever your Olympics, you know, I'm air quoting over here, whatever your Olympics is Mm -hmm. for this year, whether it's trials or nationals or NCAAs, like whatever that is, I think that's brilliant advice. Thank you. Robin, where can Mm -hmm. we follow you online, learn more about you um, and what you offer? I'm most active on Instagram and LinkedIn. 
I mess around with TikTok here and there if I remember to. But on Instagram, I'm your coach Robin, and that's Robin with a Y. And on LinkedIn, I'm Coach Robin. And it's really exciting because this year I'm running three cohorts of my 12-week program called You've Got Next. And if you go to my website, which is www.robin.coach, very simple. All, nice. all of these channels are like iterations of coach and Robin. Robin with a Y dot coach, not dot com. Then you can learn about information about getting on the wait list for the next cohort to walk through this 12-week program where you walk away with essentially what I call the playbook. And this is a juicy, juicy document that has basically everything from your personal values to your plans for what's next in life. And that we walk through these exercises together. So you can be focusing on your sport and you can relax knowing that someone like me and my team, we've got you. We're going to help you figure out your next chapter together. This is not something that you yourself have to just, you know, figure out. You've got so many resources at your disposal. And this next cohort, which kicks off March 4th, everyone gets to be a founding member. And that means highly reduced rates and registration fees. And so this is something where you can basically, no matter where you're at, get a jump start on getting curious about your next pursuit in life. Remember, this is not plan B. This is just your next pursuit that you're going to get into anyway. So let's do it on purpose. Let's have some fun. Let's douse it all with gratitude. And let's really play in a supportive container where you get to decide what's next instead of falling into a default of, I guess I'll do this next, which is by far overwhelmingly how most athletes kind of fell into what they do professionally next. It's kind of a mm -hmm. default. I guess I'll do this. That doesn't have to be for you. So connecting on Instagram, connecting on LinkedIn, hanging out at my website. I would love to chat with anyone who has questions. For example, I'm happy to have chats in the, the DMs. I feel like I'm <laughs> 18 year old saying that. Like, who am I kidding? <laughs> you're you're Hello, so cool. Okay. children. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. So happy to have a conversation with anyone who reaches out. And um, obviously I'm very passionate about this. There are really, like we spoke about in the beginning, like really concerning statistics about overall health and well-being of athletes after retirement or graduation from collegiate sports. And I'm looking for this, my flagship methodologies to be the gold standard of how we help athletes so that we can change those metrics. And so struggling after retirement is not the norm. It's the exception. For sure. And please go visit robin.coach. I want to be part of this founding group as well. I mean, I've long yes. since retired now, but I think it's still really important. I need to walk through those. I'm still having trouble, you know, figuring out that balance in this new like life outside of yeah. the pool. So any help, like knowing that they're help and they're people who understand Robin is an amazing resource and I highly recommend it. So thank you, Robin, for coming on and dropping so many great truth bombs and just really opening up the way we're looking at life after sport. My pleasure, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And thank you for doing the work that you do. You're out here also with us, like helping people change their lives. And we need more people raising their hands for that kind of work. So thank you for everything that you do as well. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests. And it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.